3: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, January 3rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the 2020 legislative session begins next week. We take a look at Lieutenant Governor-elect Delbert Hoseman's agenda and how he's reaching out to members of the Senate. Then, Mississippi's poultry economy took a dip in 2019. What accounts for the drop in state's chief agricultural industry? And a yearly report assesses the quality of the sunny Montgomery VA hospital. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Next week, Delbert Hoseman will be sworn in as 33rd Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi. Since the November election, Hoseman has been preparing for his new role leading the Mississippi Senate. He says that meeting with state agencies was a high priority.
1: We have met with a number of different groups. Uh, M died on two or three different occasions uh, with their entire staff about where we're going and how our, our roads and bridges and whatnot and, uh, and the assimilation of the money. Uh, that was funded by the legislature this last time, a significant contributions, and also the, uh, the lottery proceeds that are going to roads and bridges. Uh, We've rep- uh, uh, met with different community colleges on workforce development, met with the institution of higher learning, uh, various uh, university presidents about their issues, uh, child protection services, uh, and their issues, which are there are a plethora. Adoptions are up, but it's still very difficult agency and very has a lot of challenges with it.
3: Hosman also identifies ne- the need for the new legislature to address the growing concerns over education.
1: I've met with the superintendents of uh, schools in Mississippi, principals, uh, superintendents. We met with some teachers as well uh, about going forward on different things that are, that are proposing. As you know, we, um, we are, are in favor of and will pass a teacher pay raise coming out this time. Uh, we also have other issues that are a concern to me. I want to fund all the pre-K um, uh, initiatives. We had 19 collaboratives funded last year. We want to fund all 50 of them this year. Uh, our special needs has, has been routinely underfunded in Mississippi, uh, as as we did with MAP. So uh, you'll see us uh, addressing those particular issues. But part of the culture here, I think, and my discussions with these superintendents, the universities, the community colleges, and all these others, is to realize that we are not separate silos in education. Now, you'd think that would be common sense, but it's not necessarily so because we have, we've really driven it that way by accountability standards for high school. And so uh, all my accountability is about getting my kids in high school getting my rating and getting a B or C or an A. And then the universities have separate uh, concerns about them. Community colleges have have drifted some towards more educational, and less career technical. When we only have about 23 to 24 percent of our student students actually get a baccalaureate degree, so the remaining 75 percent of them need a meaningful paying job. And so you see these different these different silos operating uh, in education based upon what the legislature is required. I want to know what your graduation, I want you to have a third grade reading gate, I want you to do this. So as we look back at pushing this back together, uh, when we're going to fund this, it needs to be seamless.
3: The first step for Hoseman in leading the Senate is meeting all of its colleagues and understanding their priorities and goals.
1: We have been busy. Uh, We started at 10 o'clock a.m. the morning after the election. Um, because we got instructions from the voters to go to work, and so we did. And we have, as you know, had meetings with all 52 senators at this point. Uh, those meetings um, uh, encompassed a lot of different things, but uh, clearly encompassed uh, what their uh, abilities are, where they had served previously, what committees they wanted to be on, uh, what did they want to achieve during the next four years, years—the things, those things that you would anticipate somebody would ask. Uh, those meetings... Um, I thought, uh, from my standpoint, you'd have to ask the 52 of them. I thought it went well. Uh, I like our team. Uh, We have a diverse group of individuals that I think are motivated and ready to go to work. So I was very pleased with that.
3: Senator John Horn, a Democrat from Jackson, was pleasantly surprised during his meeting with Hoseman. He tells MPB's Ashley Norwood they share many common legislative issues.
4: I met with uh, Lieutenant Governor-elect Hoseman shortly after the November elections. And quite frankly, I really liked what I heard. I think that he's going to be good for Mississippi. Uh, I think that um, uh, the issues that he has expressed interest in are very closely aligned with my interest being education, healthcare, uh, and infrastructure. And um, as I say, I, I was uh, very um, pleasantly uh, surprised uh, that uh, he would be so forthcoming.
0: Yeah. Do you see any challenges for him, um, you know, leading the Senate in the coming uh, legislative session?
4: Well, I think that uh, Delbert uh, ha- has a lot of maturity and a lot of vision, and I think that uh, he will uh, apply the, those assets uh, in the running of the Senate. My uh, my, my view is, is, is that uh, he is a little unconventional as it relates to to. Uh, party and partisanship, Uh, I think he he dances to the beat of his own drum. And I I like that, quite frankly, because I I think that at the end of the day, it'll uh, it'll accrue to the benefit of the state of Mississippi.
0: In in what in what ways when you think about that? Because I thought that was a good point.
4: I don't see his having uh, any ulterior motives. I think that he is sincerely interested in helping our state to progress. And uh, as long as as, um, I I have that that sentiment about him, I think we will get along very well.
0: I know um, he's tapped some people already to, you know, serve with him uh, in terms of Senator Dean Kirby as the president pro tem. And but Clark will be returning as Senate secretary. Uh, Is there is there anything that you hope to work with him on specifically or any leadership that you would like to take on in the Senate? This
4: Well, I, I have a lot of interest. Uh, economic development has always been at the top of my list. I chair the Senate Economic Development Committee, uh, and I'll continue to have interest in, in that. I think there there are some issues regarding Medicaid that I'd like to have uh, more involvement with, and um, uh, I'm also interested in, in uh, what's happening uh, in the way of, of the uh the tourism program in the states. I I think it's a sleeping giant and would would love to have some involvement in in, uh, strengthening that program. The other thing that I'd like to to mention that that I think is gonna be very, very important uh, for folks to um, pay attention to uh, is our criminal justice system. I think that we've got some serious problems and uh, that we need to take a hard look at some additional criminal justice reform. We're hearing that the facilities uh, are in horrible shape, and, and they may uh, constitute cruel and unusual punishment to, be, to have have young men and, and women housed uh, in those facilities. And so I I really believe that we're we going to have to take a hard look at, at providing some additional support for our criminal justice system.
0: Senator John Horne, thank you again so much for your time today. Thank you. Coming up, Mississippi's poultry economy took a dip in
3: 2019. What accounts for the drop in states in the state's chief agriculture industry? This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org cartag. We'll see you on the road.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Mississippi poultry industry accounts for nearly $3 billion of the yearly Mississippi economy. But the industry did not perform as well in 2019 as it had in the past. Dr. Tom Tabler is a poultry scientist with the Mississippi State University Extension Center. He tells us that consumer concerns over antibiotics is changing the industry.
6: It's down this year, but poultry is close to somewhere almost a $3 billion industry in this state you know year in and year out it's always number one and if you add number two number three number four number five together they usually match what poultry by itself does maybe just a tad bit more but of the top five commodities poultry produces almost as much as the next four two three four and five combined but it's it's roughly give or take year in, year out, about a $3 billion business. Does poultry include eggs? Poultry does uh-huh. include eggs. In most cases, whenever you see numbers, unless it specifically says the numbers are only broiler related numbers, the numbers will include both the broiler production plus the eggs that Calmaine does. I think this year is going to be down maybe to about two point seven eight billion maybe two point seven nine billion where last year I think it was two point nine nine billion something like that but but poultry broilers and eggs roughly three billion dollars well let's talk so about why
3: the numbers are down for 2019 compared to the year or two before that
6: okay the reason. I I think, and again, my crystal ball is really not any better than anybody else's crystal ball, but but what I lay part of the, the down numbers to this year is that basically every poultry integrator in this state, all six of the folks that grow broilers, some of that production has been diverted to what most people are calling NAE, which is no antibiotics ever, programs. So these chickens get no antibiotics at the hatchery. They get no antibiotics in the feed, which is different than what it was, say, 5, 10 years ago but because consumer is asking for products that are grown without antibiotics in it. So as best they can, the chicken companies are trying to give these folks what they want.
3: Is there evidence that shows that ingesting antibiotic-treated chicken is bad for a human's health?
6: You're not going to ingest antibiotics from chickens. Any antibiotic is pulled out of the feed and has, is stopped being given to that animal weeks before it ever goes to processing. You're not going to get product in the store that has antibiotic residue in it. Because every flock of chickens that goes to market is tested before it ever goes to market. The blood is tested, the fat is tested, the meat is tested to make sure that there is no antibiotic residue left in that meat. If they were receiving antibiotic, it was pulled out long before that chicken ever went to market. So everything that anybody buys in a store regardless of whether it says no antibiotics ever on it or not, does not have antibiotic residue in it because it was pulled out and the meat was tested before that flock of birds ever went to the process.
3: Then why are consumers reluctant or demanding that there not be antibiotics used in the chicken they eat?
6: A lot of it has to do with the fact that some of the same antibiotics that is given to chickens, is given to livestock, is also given to humans. Most of the folks that do that kind of work, that that provide those kind of products, are, are not putting that product in hog feed, chicken feed, cow feed any longer. If, if, if it's got a purpose in human medicine, it's not used, in the livestock world anymore. That's why if if you look at the numbers on on how much antibiotic is being sold in the U.S. and where that antibiotic is going, the amount that goes to agriculture, whether it's to cattle or hogs or chickens or whatever, is, is dropping year in and year out because companies are no longer using the same antibiotics in livestock feed that may have a purpose in human medicine. Just has a preventative, so that there is not going to be an issue with antibiotic resistance in humans resulting from using antibiotics in livestock.
3: You said that it was not using antibiotics in poultry that caused the drop in 2019 in terms of income.
6: Yeah, the the, re, the main reason for the for the down production this year is that when you grow no antibiotics ever chickens you have to grow them a little bit differently in NAE production no antibiotics ever production is going to be more expensive and I understand that consumers want you know no antibiotic free product and I understand why they want that but these same folks they also want less environmental impact from the chicken industry. They want a smaller carbon footprint. They want more sustainability. They want cheaper cost, And you cannot get any of those things growing NAE chickens. You can't do things less expensive with NAE birds than you can with conventional birds. Companies can produce NAE chickens. That's not a problem. They know how to do it. They've got it figured out. But they cannot do it as cheaply as what they can conventional
3: but if growing. the cost if the cost is being pushed onto the consumer why were egg prices so cheap this last year
6: egg prices are cheap because there are a bunch of hens out there laying eggs right now there's there's too many hens to allow the price to go up back in 2015 when we went through the avian influenza issue in the midwest and we lost lots and lots of laying hens eggs got very expensive but since that time the egg producers in the country have expanded so there are a bunch of hens out there laying eggs you know the, the price is not very high on eggs right now because there's just a lot of le- eggs out there
3: dr tom tabler is a professor of poultry science at mississippi state university's extension service dr tabler thank you very much
6: you're very welcome
3: Coming up, a yearly report assesses the quality of the Sunny Montgomery VA Hospital. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. This is MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission. Support for MPB comes from the Woodward Hines Education Foundation's Get to College program. Based in South Haven, Jackson, and Ocean Springs, get to college advisors, help students and families plan, and pay for college. Learn more at woodwardhines.org. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Sunny Montgomery Veterans Medical Center in Jackson is working to provide more information about the quality of its care to compete with hospitals across the state. The center has added a link to its website called Compare Your VA Facility. Veterans can see how the Jackson and Biloxi Medical Centers compare with other hospitals based on a yearly report that assesses the quality of care in a range of categories. Medical Center Director Dr. David Walker tells MPB's Desiree Fraser that Sonny Montgomery is outperforming the community in a number of measures.
2: So overall, if you look at the hospital and how we treat all the veterans in the outpatient arena, we are outperforming the community overall. Now, there are some things we're not, and the transparency here is, you can go and see where we are outperforming and where we're not.
5: What would be an example of something you're doing well and something that you really want to see improvement on?
2: So uh, this example of uh, catheter-associated urinary tract infections, we still need to do better on this. And so uh, that rate's not acceptable to us. If you look at, for instance, uh, how we are treating uh, our patients with diabetes with high blood pressure and those patients that have diabetes and high blood pressure together, we're actually outperforming the local commercial average, the local Medicare and Medicaid average and the national on all of those. And we're very proud of that because that's how you allow a veteran to live, to see a child born or a grandchild born or graduate from school or not lose a leg due to diabetes.
5: Is this initiative going on around the country?
2: It is. It's actually going on at every VA. And so uh, anywhere in the country, uh, you can Google and go to uh, VA hospitals' uh, webpage, and then from that you can get to this quality data. Now, once you're at this quality data, you can then look at every hospital, too.
5: So now the goal is to get the word out.
2: The the goal is to get the word out. It's about transparency. Um, We know that veterans have choice under the Mission Act, and so we need to compete to keep our veterans because there are things that we do better than the community. And so we want the veteran to make an informed decision if they, before they decide to go out, if they do go out. And, you know, one of the things that we, uh, it's a thing we're really good at is if you are really ill and you need to see a lot of specialists at the same time. So you have cancer, uh, you might need chemotherapy, you still are seeing your primary care doctor. When you're in our system, all of those doctors and nurses can see all of those records. And so the coordinating of the care is actually top. It, it, that is a, is a significant thing. And in the, if you're in the private sector and you're seeing multiple hospitals or in clinics, they don't all communicate with each other. And so you've got to, you know, you have to overcome that. And so that's something we have. And another thing, I'll give you an example So in African-American men who have prostate cancer, in the private sector, they have a much worse prognosis than all other races. In the VA, their rates are the same. And the reason is we actively screen for it, and then we do state-of-the-art treatment.
5: How many veterans are out there receiving services within the system?
2: So here in Mississippi, the Jackson VA has approximately 42,000 veterans.
5: How many do you think are out there that you're not touching?
2: Thousands. So what we're finding is that the young men and women from Iraq and Afghanistan are not joining veteran service organizations, and that used to be a main way for us to get veterans from like the American Legion or the VFW DAV. And so they're uh, not joining and they're not signing up for care. And uh, just recently, we know there were 3,400 that went with the 155th uh, to Afghanistan. And we actually went to their Uh, post-deployment assessments uh, over two weekends and brought in staff from uh, other parts of the VA to help us, and we signed up over 350 veterans. 250 for us and the other were for VAs in Ohio and South Carolina and Georgia and Texas, Louisiana, because a Guard member can drill with the Mississippi Guard, even if they've moved out of the state. They just still drill with the Guard And so we do things like that to reach, to get the word out. We do town halls. And then we've partnered with the state VA in September, and we taught uh, chaplains and clergy how to recognize signs of depression and suicide and then what services are available in the VA. And we did it at Camp McCain, Naval Air Station Meridian, Camp Shelby, and, and Biloxi, training over 80 you know, clergy in the community representing thousands uh, of individuals uh, because we're trying to get to those veterans who aren't using us because about 14 a day that suicide nationally of the 20 are not enrolled in VA health care. And so we're trying to do those things to get them in
3: our system. Dr. David Walker is the medical director of the Sunny Montgomery Veterans Medical Center.